Listening Dog Media. DJ. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins, and this is How to DJ. How to DJ. I could just use six proper inputs, and if I just bypass the recording process and go straight to my dad's tape deck. Oh, right, quickly, whip, whip something, something up. Really important. These people who turn up at gigs and you, you hear them playing the same set, I think they should be arrested and led away. DJing is a live environment. It's happening here, here and now. A podcast exploring life stories, techniques, minds and experiences of much-loved DJs where I ask them to pick five questions from a box of 45. And for this episode, a superstar DJ. It became the session to come to. It became the one day let's say that everyone on the island came to a dj famous for gigs at super clubs like ministry of sound turnmills and miss bunny pennies but that was like the epitome of clubbing big sound system huge dark room it's what everyone wanted didn't it and based on very personal experience a mental health advocate brandon block welcome to how to dj thanks for having me mate i know he's hard to pin each other down but uh, we managed to do it you come from north of the country i've come from the south coast so Wicked, it's great to be here. Are you up for going deep? Listen, there's no, there's no, uh, there's nothing that, it's not been out there, I don't think, already. Happy to talk about what you've, what you want to know, really, mate. It's your whole life story, I guess, starting, Brandon. Okay. With the music that you were into as a kid, what are your early memories of getting into music? I'm going to get a bit deep, let's say. So I was sort of a little bit bullied at school, right? And my music was my saviour then, right? And I, I befriended this Nigerian gentleman called Yemi, right? And he was tall and he was the best robotic dancer in the school. And he took me under his wing and he used to take me in the lunchtime disco. And I'll tell you a little story about this because it's absolutely wonderful. It brought tears to my eyes when I when I talk about it. It may be. Anyway, so long story short, I ended up in the lunchtime disco. When, and at that time it was like in a house room and we used to have houses in, in secondary school. And they were named after local parks, blah, blah, blah. So we used to go in there. And that's when I learned how to do my jazz dancing, my shuffling or whatever you want to call it, sort of disco dancing back in the day. It also introduced me to the, the older cool lot who were all the soul, the soul Patrol. I ended up playing football with them down the park after school one night, which was my local park. And they all sort of, again, took me under their wing. It was, that was my, you know, my lead into music, lead into my life, lead into my DJing career. Because basically they used to drink in the local pub where I used to sneak in and then by as soon as I was allowed to be in there, I think it was 16, the governor said to me and my best pal, Ali, the DJ hasn't turned up. Go home and get your records. Come and play, will you? So we and me and Ali went, yep. We went home, grabbed our milk crates, come back to the pub, played every, because we used to collect music, obviously, and our, you know, my music journey started in school. So there's, there's us, me and Ali go, right, we come back, all the tunes, we played the records. We knew that it was all our mates in the pub. It just took off. And he said, right, you've got a job every Friday. We shared a tenner between three of us. So music, yeah, I mean, it's been my saviour. What was the pub called? The John Lyon. It was in Harrow. I have such fond memories of that growing up. I loved it. What, being in the pub? Growing up in the 80s. I was looking at one of the, like, 88 or 87 Top of the Pops. This is Top of the Pops from that year. Ten different music genres in the top ten. So you think about that in the 80s. You've got all, and look, they say guilty pleasures. Because there were so many different cultures, weren't there? It's like music cultures. Literally, you know, new romantic, punk, funk, disco, soul, rock, heavy rock, indie started. I mean, Christ, it was it was a, a complete smorgasbord of music, wasn't it? And if you, you know, back then, oh, what, I'm a soul boy. Or, you know, but you can't say, oh, I like a bit of Human League, though. You couldn't say that. But secretly, 
And you could say it now because, you know, the whole thing about the Acid House movement opened the doors and our minds to all genres of music. Alfredo playing eclectic, Balearic beats, you know, so... You would say, though, that, you know, I think guilty pleasures is, I find it quite a hard term because great music is great music, isn't it? Yeah, totally. In fact, Tony said that. It's not a guilty pleasure. It's actually a pleasure. Growing up in the 80s, we had access to all those different genres and so much great music. So you, 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 I mean, look, this is, this is why music is such an impact because it, of the emotional attachment it holds, the memories it brings back, the moments of, of capsules of time that's stored in your subconscious from moments in your life, which can either be sad or happy or whatever, but they, they are moments. And, 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 you know, you've had that time. You've, you play a song and you go, oh, wow, I remember when that first, or well, I first heard that. And, and, and the memory comes back. So, you know, for people who, I'm really into their music. I'm not saying, you know, people who aren't into the music, but people who like DJs or... Well, definitely for me, it's very cathartic because, you know, I I want those... Those memories are, you know, wonderful. So you were DJing, it was in Harrow, yeah. where you lived, yes. in the local pub. Yes. That's where it started. And you're doing your clubbing in London, in, in the West End a lot of the time. Yeah. Were you into live bands or not? Was it all about clubbing? Uh, we used to go and see uh, like all the soul bands like George Benson and Fatback Band and uh, Maze and all the big you know soul bands at the time we would go and see. And that was that was probably before clubbing because by that time clubbing didn't involve live bands as such. Before before Clubland, yes, live bands, but concerts as opposed to, yeah, well, concerts. And then Clubland, there was no room for live bands for us. It was like, let's go and hear the latest house music. I'm, I want a DJ and I like so... I wasn't one of the first. You say it was. It was a long time ago. But, you know, Nicky, Danny, Paul, Oakey, um, Trevor, Johnny Walker, um, Colin Hard. There was a few that started that whole club scene in London. Obviously, the Northern Grand Park. Alistair Whitehead was quite early on. But then, obviously, I, I drove the, the pro. It was so mad. They said, oh, I can't break. Because I was DJing already for them. And then they, they said, oh, so go on and play in the big club. So I played with my mentor, who the top, my mate's John Jules. You ever heard that name? Yeah. So Jules is, I grew up with. Did you? Yes, John Jules. Jules, he was the DJ. And he said, oh, so I sort of said, I'm going to come and play with you. And oh, okay. But I was seven sheets to the wind when I was playing. And I played, I think I played French Kiss, Lil Louie, or some, something like that. We had some... Or was it seduction? It had some swearing in it or something. And he went, oh, no, 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 because all that. It was like that on the decks. I remember him doing it running over. But anyway, so I played that night with him. Where was that? Broadway Boulevard in Ealing, which was like a AZ Casey Club, the Thursday night acid house night. And then on the, following from that, the guys of the promoters, who, again, I still keep in touch with, they started another night in Ely and said, we want you to be the resident of this night, the whole night. And it started, I actually ended up doing like from seven till one or two in the morning on my own. But also I decided with Dean Thatcher, who's my very good friend as well, we decided to do our own after Queens, which was an incredible lunchtime club up in Queen Mother's Reservoir with Phil Perry, Andrew Weverall, Terry Farley and all that. We decided to do our own slightly closer to home because we were, we were too far to too ruined to drive out to Heathrow so we thought it was nearer to home, Ealing. So we did a lunchtime party, but then we got absolutely at it and then in between they shut for like an hour to clean up the place but by that time it was slaughtered come back at seven o'clock played a whole night be, you can imagine but it was great and it was an incredible club 
It's where I first met Alex. Yeah, man, it was just mental. So, and then that started the week. I mean, the, the, the owners of the clubs, they, 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 they sort of started partying themselves a bit from on strength of what we were doing. Ended up leaving saying, look, just lock yourself in and let yourself out when you're ready. Just put money behind the bar. Because like by Sunday night, I'm flying by the end of the club. I can't go home. So are you aware by this stage that your reputation is growing? I mean, yes, I suppose, because we're getting work. We're being employed by promoters to come and DJ around the country and getting paid to, you know, and we, we're yeah. in IB for now. Now, obviously, space is happening, which is the best club in the world, bar none. Can you remember your first time at space? Of course, I remember it vividly. Go for it. So this is attached to that story in Ealing. Myself and Alex, Alex came to do a set on the Sunday night residency. I got there, you know, because Alex was playing. And I came in afterwards and he'll tell his story. And I, I, I walk in my record boxes. I've been out for the hour and a half. Actually, probably been out for three hours now because I know someone's doing DJing there. So I've come back in record boxes, packed. I'm bumbling through the club and everyone's going, oh, blah, 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 blah. and I've turned up. I put a load of thing on the, on the gear on the uh, record decks and, and said, I'm Brandon Block, mate. And he went, and then I jumped on the decks after his, I let his record run out. So it went, and I think I put on, now that we found love, third world. And he went, but that was our first meeting. And we, we crossed paths a lot in around London. And then he said, come to, if you come to IB for next year. So me and my best mate, God rest his soul as well. He took his own life, bloody hell baggy, wherever you are, mate. We went out there and said, right. We're staying here now. We're going to live here for the summer. We just picked this apartment block in IB for, in, in San Antonio to stay in for the, the first time ever. Nikki had opened, just opened the milk bar that literally that, that summer. It was run by our friends, Del and Kate. Nikki was there. We found the milk bar. We got absolutely slaughtered. We come back in the morning. We boiled, boiled eggs in a kettle and all that because we, you know, first morning. And then Alex knocks on the door and goes, start screaming and shouting. Because it turns out his mate, his best mate was staying in the same apartment block on the same floor of us next door. He leaned over the back. He went, are you Brandon Block? I mean, anyway, oh, Alex has told me to look out for you. And I went, anyway, so Alex came up, turned up. He was seven shades. Blah, 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 and disappeared. Turns out he'd actually nicked the bus full of people from Pasha and driven it to San Anne because he couldn't find a cab home. He'd come out of Pasha. The driver had gone to the toilet. He saw an empty passenger bus with the seat, jumped in it and drove it to San Anne. Can you imagine? All these people going, Missing their stops. Hilarious. One of the best story ever. Anyway, so he parked it in the bus carriage. <laughs> oh, mate. That's fucking hilarious. How old are you at this time? 22, 21. Right. Anyway, Alex said, look, uh, we met him the finally the next day because the Guardian nicked him and bashed him up all night. And then he, we met him at Cafe del Mar the next day and he said, look, come to space in the morning, please. Come and bring your records. And I went, oh, I'd love to. Anyway, we got I had a bit of fun that night, and then the first thing in the morning, me and Baggy grabbed all five boxes of five boxes of records or like that, put them in a cab, go to space, walk in and go, oh man, look at this fucking place, William. It's incredible. Like and and I watched a video with Danny talking about amnesia and you know how the the, the culturally diverse mix of people, and you go into space terrace after the inside was open till late, and then it opened. It would open for coffee and that, but we'd play music about nine, ten. So everyone was, because it was like having amnesia, the open air amnesia, but continued through the day. First open air club ever, really thinking about it. Daytime party, which created all the daytime parties moving forward. So I walked in and went, oh my God, look at this place. It was people dancing. It, it was just so multiculturally diverse and politically friendly, let's say. 
And you just walked in and go, oh my God, look at this place. And Nino and Nino's mad Argentinian used to dance naked. And Tino, who was another one, used to, I mean, just craziest people. And having fun, no judgment, no looking at what you're wearing, no, none of that, just literally dancing. And I put my records behind the decks and what ensued was probably one of the most memorable parties spaces ever had on the terrace. It was about 2,000 people in the end. Me and Alex played from nine in the morning till eight in the evening. They tried to shut the shutters at six and I, I lay on the bar and they couldn't get the shutters down. So they lifted it up again and let us play for another bit. And on the back of that, Pepe came out, Pepe Rosilio, who's the owner of space. And he said, I, uh, I'm going to employ you. Alex is here because he rents the bar from me. I'm going to employ you as a DJ for space. Really? You were just a kid still? Oh God, yeah. It was, it was, it was, can you imagine growing up in that? Just like, and, and being a DJ in a, the world's best club. It has been invited the best club for God knows how many years space. And creating that terrace at that time where people, all the DJs from around the world, all the workers, all the late night clubbers, all the, you know, the family of, sort of people who were in Ibiza at the time, which was, it was quite, it was quite a cohesive little, I say little, there's probably about 5,000 of us, but we knew everyone. We knew each other, all the Italians, all the Dutch, all the German, all the Belgians, all the, you know, uh, Argentinians, the South Americans, the Spanish, the Ibisenkans. It was like, and we knew everyone because everyone was clubbing. Everyone had a common, wonderful join, music. And Alfredo playing, started the Balearic, you know, by playing stuff that, they wouldn't be guilty pleasures. They're just great music. Some of you wouldn't necessarily hear in a discotheque, but, oh, what a record to hear. You know, like it, emotional voices and songs. What an incredible experience, mate. How long did all of that go on for? So Space, I mean, Alex, I think started in 1990. I can't remember exactly, maybe earlier, but, but, but he was a creation of him and a friend called James Mitchell. Who uh, decided that, that, that there was a there was a gap in the IB for licenses? It's called the Cafe Concerto license. It means you've got a cafe, and the concert means you can play music, right? Which is a twenty four hour license theoretically, but you have to shut for an hour a day. And then Pepe had the idea that okay, instead of shutting at whatever in the evening, he would shut for an hour in the morning and open at night, if you know what I mean. So he would open at twelve. Everyone would come to space after the other clubs had finished from six. Amnesia well, may go to seven with the opening, with the roof opening. Same with Esparadis, Pasha, possibly, and then Coup. But space would then be open at six till nine. Three hours of dark, techno, fucking hedonism, right? And then after that, it was a coffee lounge, theoretically. It was a coffee terrace, let's say. They used to have coffee and people used to sit on wicker chairs. It was like until 10 o'clock when it went, it was like, it just went off. It was like, and you know, it was big. You remember the old terrace? I don't know if you've ever been to the old, the old no, terrace. No, I'd never be. So the old terrace was literally, there was two rooms, inside and outside. There wasn't the big rooms they have now as high or even when space changed and they closed in the terrace and they put a room there and a room there. They had an upstairs indoors and the downstairs. Was, it, was, it was speckled. It was like space. It had white LEDs on the ceiling and that was it in a black room, in a black space. Big sound system, loads of bars, and lots of fun people. So you imagine people coming in from six o'clock in the morning, sit off their nuts, straight into side space, techno, boo, 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 and then and then by about three hours, <laughs> they're ruined and they're sitting outside, going, wake up, oh my God. And then waiting for us. And then me and Alex would arrive at like, I don't know, maybe we'd go and play inside for a bit and have a muck about with the other DJs. 
and then we'd come out and we'd start having, you know, sit down, have a drink with everyone. I go, come on, play the music, play the music. We, we, we can't, we're not loud until, until 10. You've got to wait, you've got to wait. So anyway, you can imagine it was like a litmus paper at 10 o'clock because everyone was arriving because it became the session to come to. It became the one day, let's say, that everyone on the island came to. It wasn't like, it was everyone from every club came. You literally, 10 o'clock, you, you'd have to choose your tune well because it was, it was the one that was going to go, bang. What would that be? Oh, God, it went through, we went through stages like, so, what do I remember the first one being? Might have been something like MK Burning or, or because that was, I mean, he was huge back then, Mark Kitchen, man. Thinking about 35 years ago, he was, he was probably quite young, I'd imagine, as well, but remixing. So, MK Burning or, or, or Reaching or Phase 2 or something American garagey, possibly, you know, that sort of, a, a nice, wholesome record. And then you're off. And then, then some certain records became big space classics. You've got, I mean, Sandy B, but they're usually, they're not just space classics, but they, they're moment records. They're always moment records. They'll always be, and this is why that whole thing about rejuvenation and classics are, is, is, is always coming back because it has such resonance for people. What about back home at Ministry and Terminals? How, how did they compare to, to space? I think the thing is the thing that people have done over the years is always ask, is this a new IB for, is this a new, it's not, you can't compare them and you wouldn't want to because they're just different, different, you know, ministry in its own right. I had the, th the number third membership for the ministry of sound ever, Justin Berkman, who sort of instigated the ministry of sound from bringing it back from New York. The idea, it just kicked off, didn't it? It was like, it was like what, I mean, look, there was always nightclubs, but that was like the epitome of clubbing, big sound system, huge dark room. It's what everyone wanted, didn't it? Uh, you know, uh, but there was many clubs going. I mean, myself and Lisa Loud used to run our own club at Nicky's Milk Bar called Food Bar, which was wonderful. That was at five nights a week. I mean, we used to go there five nights a week, pretty much. Dave Darrell, Darren Emerson, Danny Ramblin, Shum, Pure Sexy, who else? Pete Tong, and us on a Sunday night. Christ, that's it. That was like seven nights of, of, of debauchery and fun. And you guys all became household names. Well, yeah, I mean, we did really. And, and yeah. What I, I mean, in a way, it's a lovely thing. I've, I mean, I've often wondered, and you know, I still, still, you know, people come up to me now and say, "Oh, no, I love you." You know, I've like, I've, I've had four people come and say, "I've named my son after you." Yeah, yeah, which is wonderful, and it's 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 very humbling. But you know, people still come out in the street now, and you know, oh, great day, great time, blah blah. You go, I'm really, I'm really taken aback by that. I go, oh wow, how lovely that stuff. And I think that's down to, you know, stuff that I did back then. It feels like um, your contemporaries were, were, you know, you were all having a great time actually doing the work, doing the DJing. Oh, God, it was incredible. But, but you wanted to party all the time as well. Oh, God, yeah, I did that. I mean, on nights off. Oh, I, I wasn't, there was no nights off. You just wanted to be I mean, clubbing there was one, there was all one, the time. There was two seasons in IB, but we didn't have a night off throughout right. the whole summer because what that was, myself and Alex are doing space, and on the back of space, the big clubs were opening because more people were coming, obviously, to IB for him. It, the, the word had got out and the whole, you know, the, the Paul Oakenfold and, you know, uh, Danny Ramplin and Nicky Holloway and all that stuff and Johnny, all that, creating that thing back here and the Hacienda, Grand Park, all this, this whole house music thing and then Ibiza is the place. So people were coming and more people were coming and, to, and people and then promoters after three, like 94 I think was the first time promoters actually came because there were people on the island living there trying to put nights on and asking me and Alex to DJ, everyone. 
So we'd played Monday at Pasha, Tuesday at Amnesia, Wednesday at Esperantese, Thursday at uh, Coup, Friday, um, wherever else, and Saturday we'd have off, and then Sunday morning we'd back at Space in the morning. We did that whole, we did that for two summers. The whole summers, every night. So there was no, there was no resting, man. It was just like you got, you got to power through. And by this time, you know, you're in Face Magazine, you're in Loaded Magazine. You know, you are a, a big name. And at some point, then obviously, it, it just can't carry on. You have this epiphany. What did you do? Well, so basically, I think look, the, the catalyst for me was, uh, or that moment of. It's called like there's a tool where I because I work in I worked in drugs and alcohol for many years following my yeah. journey, and there's a tool and it's very easy to understand and I I like it a lot when I if I'm if I'm ever coaching people or talking about drugs and and giving them an uh, giving them an idea of how it you know the reasons why it's it's called pre contemplation and it's an awareness thing so basically pre contemplation is nothing's going wrong in my life I'm just partying and it's all great. No matter what I'm taking, no matter what I'm doing, no matter, you know, where, what risks I'm taking. And you're not aware of it. You just, it's all great. You think it's all great. Then something goes wrong. And then it's called contemplation because then you, you, you start thinking, oh, hold on. And you start judging your actions. You start thinking, hold on. I can't do that with no consequences now because I've just had consequences. And then when I think about that, it, it, it's, you know, cognitive therapy. Yes. So if you think about a cog turning another cog, you think, and this is why the journey becomes difficult. This is why, this is my, this is only my take on it. People struggle with the guilt. The sh they, they, they learn about why they're doing it. The contemplation is right. So now I've got to think about this. So God, for me, in Ibiza, I, I'm living there on 96 it was. I've still got my TB. I've got hepatitis. I'm nine stone. People are going, look at you, man. And I'm partying and partying and partying. And they're going, look at you, man. You've got to go home. You can't stay any longer. And I was like, really? And they went, yeah. And that was fair play to everyone who did that. And I went home to England. And this was October. And I realized I was very nearly on the way out. And, I, and that's when I went to the hospital. And I was like coughing blood up. And I coughed half a pint of blood up one evening on a, on a motorway. I was traveling with Alex. And he'd tell you if you ever speak to him. He was on the white line in the middle of the road at night. And I said, oh, just pull over, pull over. I went, watch this, because I could taste it. And he went, and I went, and he went, and I went, he said, hospital for you. So I went straight back to the hospital. Um, and they put me in isolation again. Jenny Rampton, who was my manager at the time, came to visit me. And she was, God bless her, she was such a strong, you know, she helped me so much. Um yeah, whirlwind, mate. And then, and then, obviously, I came home, and and that's when I had that that moment of of clarity in the hospital. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I've had enough of this life. I've had enough. I've got. To, but I realised I could change it. And that one moment of like letting go of the fear of the anxiety of living without drugs, I realised I can do it. I've just got to learn how because I don't know how to do it at the moment. And that's when I went on the search for Mister Doctor Sanahan. Um, he's now the head of this, the Priory Group. You've heard of the primary? Yeah, so he's course. he's the governor there. So it tells you what his his status is. Did you check in there? No, I went to a place called the Listen, uh, Charter Nightingale, which is now called the Capio Nightingale in Listen yes. Grove in Paddington. Yes, which was one of the first, I suppose, mental hospitals uh, uh, in London, and it was uh, it was it was quite a tough place to be. Uh, but you know, I, I probably put that down to saving my life, really, uh, and with having him as my mentor because 
I think his in, his interaction interventions, let's say, made sense to me. You know, the clinical side, the way the bio, the biology of the mind type thing, how it worked, and you know why I was doing what I was doing. And he, I still see him to this day, and not not in that capacity. He refers people to me. Would you believe so? Because sometimes he just has a lost cause. He goes, I don't know what to do, and he sends them to me. So I speak to him because I still have stuff to go over and he says i'll gladly speak to you of course when did you go back out working djing then i didn't take a lot of time off believe it or not but I, I, it was it was a struggle because i i what would i would be overwhelmed with anxiety so i'd actually it would get to the night and i'd say oh god i can't go it's, it's it was a lot for me so jenny would ring up and say look he can't come and they'd say whoa they said look he can't come he's not well he's trying it's not you know, that's it there's no argument here and then slowly, I had a friend of mine, Brady, who's uh, larger than life, uh, my best mates to this day, and just we're still, you know, he's incredible. He he was, let's say, my minder. And funny, you should say minder, but we 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 used to, and I was, I can't tell you, through that whole period, I was going through the worst anxiety ever, the worst, constantly. You know, people go, oh, I had an enlightening experience, not for me. It was completely the other way. I put myself through every meal possibly possible mentally it was horrendous and you know the anxiety would last for a month can you imagine being in an anxiety attack panic attack for a month and then having a day and breathing go, oh, oh it's left me and then all of a sudden it come back the day after for 27 days or 25 days the next one you'd have five days better feeling all right and that's how it worked for the years so anyway so that led me to and brady was there protecting me you know, he would keep people away from me because no one believed it would happen. No one had heard about it. Now, only Mixed Mag did the interview when I was in the clinic. They came and did an interview, free pager about my, you know, my addiction. Slowly started getting back to the gig. It was only after I started working again because I didn't, what I was doing was not turning up for gigs in the end of it, at the end of my using, because I just couldn't be bothered. I was like, I'm going to spend more money going there by how much I've got to take with me and what I'm going to use there and what I'm going to use on the way back. I might as well just stay here and try and do less, which never happened. But weren't you being paid a fortune by this that time? That didn't matter to me. Did it not? No. Because I'd spent it, all, I'd spent it all on everything yeah. and it just went. Yeah. There was no, there was no in my, nothing in my bank account ever. It was just, it was gone. DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ with Chris Hawkins. Brandon, this podcast episode is supported by awesome in-ear specialist Flare Audio. So I want to ask, what's your favourite song to listen to with the earphones in? What's the track that you think is perfect for listening to alone? I listen to emotional records when I'm if I'm if I'm in a moment of you know needing to let's say to relieve, cry or something, which is uh, I mean most music I listen to makes me happy. I like to listen, but if if I'm if I'm in need of something, I either put on Born Free. Matt Munro, because that makes me cry just because of the film. Every time I can hear that, I can hear the intro and I'll be bawling. Joni Mitchell, both sides now. Uh, there's a, a special version, a live version she did. Oh, man. DJ. How to DJ. Brandon, it's time now for the first of your five picks from 45 in this record box hill. The questions are on 45 Steve's, so I'll dip in. You say when, I'll pull one out. Go on. Your first question from the box is, I think, 
I mean, we've covered a lot of ground, but I think you answered this question earlier, but I'll, I'll ask again, see if the answer's the same. Where is the greatest dance floor? Um, I can't <laughs> look. There are many, there are many, and there've been many and, you know, and, and some even to this day are wonderful. And, you know, I don't, touch wood, I don't think I've had a bad dance floor, but the best one for me was Space Terrace. Yeah. And it was consistently for five or six years, you know, so. What about in the UK? I mean, I love the Milk Bar. Yeah. All the way back. Ministry was great. What about beyond Ibiza and the UK? Where else in the world? I've had some uh, worldwide, mate. Australia, Thailand. Tell me about a wild night in Thailand. Well, see, the thing, the thing is, I, I'd stopped taking gear by the time I'd lived to Thailand. So I never, I went in 97. So I didn't have the wildest. I did have a couple of nights on the piss because that was when I'd still, you know, I hadn't stopped drinking just yet. But I mean, doing so, I had to, here, so just, but this is more on a personal note. So my Thai family, who I, I, who adopted me sort of thing, were, were the, the governors of Koh Samui, but they used to have bars and clubs and everything. So this, a, a lady came up to me about three weeks ago, I was in a club and she went, can I just, can I just say something to you? And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. She called, she said, Rocky Bay in Thailand in 1997 was my mum and me's last, last time out together. She passed away, sadly, not long after. And just, sorry, mate. Okay. just want to say how you made us feel that evening yeah. with your music and what a memory I've got. So for her to come and say that now, after all that time, and hold that musical memory, of something so wonderful for, do you know? God, that's really God to me, man. Back into the box. Your second question, say what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Sorry, yeah. mate. I'm sitting here waiting, <laughs> bated breath. What do you wish you'd never done? Do you know what? I look, I, I, I don't, I don't regret anything I've done, to be honest. I think it's made me more. It's, it's led me on my journey today. I wouldn't be here. Because, as you, you know, one minute second can change your life. So I think if anything, any you know, like the whole the film, there's a film about time, you know, when they go back in time and they change one molecule of whatever's gone on and the whole world's different, like, like back in Back in the Future. So I think if I'd have had a better awareness of how ill I made myself, I probably wouldn't have gone as crazy if, if I could change anything. But I still wouldn't have lived necessarily the different life because I'm here now and it's all right. It's actually, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to talk to you and share stuff that I've learned. I mean, I never thought I could take anything on because, you know, we all suffer, struggle with concentration and distractions now. So it's difficult. I mean, you know, me sitting here talking to you for an hour is, is incredible because if I'm at home and I know I'm quite animated, but you know, if I was at home, I'd have been, I'd have been out in the garden. I'd have been, you know, I'd have been doing chopping wood and then coming back in and thinking, no, what was I doing now? Oh, you're here. <laughs> back into the box, Brem. On, for question three, say when. Now. Describe the best time you've ever had in a DJ booth. You know what I want that to be? The answer to that, what I'd love is you to think about a great night and looking out from your perspective on the dance floor. There's moment records. We call them moment records, right? Well, I do. 
And they're not always the coolest. They're not always the hippest. They're not always, but they're moment records. And look, some of them get played a lot. And don't forget, if you're asking from a a place of recognition, don't forget this this movement we've had, the evolution of music from house music has had many pivotal records, right? Which held many memories for a lot of people. So a lot of them get overplayed and then we're going, oh, you're playing that again. And he's playing that again. They have feeling. So... What I, what I try to do now is not play that one too often or that one too often, but, you know, just for a quick one. I mean, look, it happens a lot and very, you know, so having that intuition to play, that's going to work. Don't care if it's old or new, it's been played a lot. This is the moment for that record and it'll work. And now, even Saturday night, right, and I haven't played it for a long time, which is Sandy B, will make the world go round, right? And I thought, you know what, that'll work now. And I put it on and it worked. It was like, oh, you know, like, so it doesn't, it's not like you, you search for it. It's just, I think having those moment records and going, wow, that is a moment. What about a moment for you to just describe the feeling when it's going off? I, you know, I mean, look, I, I, here's the thing. My friend, my goal mapping coach, life coach, mentor said to me, he had a similar story to me and he went on a journey and found this model that he uses now because he was struggling as well his name is brian main it's goal mapping if anyone's interested it's fantastic and it's about you know mapping your goals and having a passion and, and value with them so you do them for the right reasons you don't do them because you'll be commanded to do smart goals that you do them because they mean something to you so you you draw the picture you get the route to get to them and you do it subconsciously command yourself every day by looking at your map and you go oh you don't have to worry about what you got to do. Just, that's what I do. And you do it. And then over for, for, for three or six months, you've done everything. And you do another map. Does it make sense? He said to me, what I noticed was, although I loved playing big records back in the day, he was a DJ as well. He owned the biggest nightclub in the Isle of Wight before, before national travel came, before Freddie Laker started flying to Spain. So the Isle of Wight was the go-to place, believe it or not, until that all ruined when tra travel to Europe was easy. And he said, I used to play big records. We all did. Pianos, breakdowns, crescendos. But he said, I never heard the words. And I went, my God. And since I stopped taking the drugs, I, 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 learned, I knew that I was listening to the words in the songs, in my, you know, vocal songs, like the house records, Alice in Limerick, all those old favourites where I had beautiful messages. And you, I played them with a different vigour. So I played them. I could hear the songs and hear the 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 vibe. That mean stuff, man. That's fucking love in the in the in love in the vocals and the words. And you get the whole overall feeling. And you sing it. I start. I sing. I sing when I'm DJing in big songs now. You know. Um, and thankfully, Michael Gray, my very good friend, who's mixing, <laughs> and, and Doctor Packer, my very good friend, and and Greg from Chugging and they're all remixing old disco records with beautiful songs and, and you can play them again now and I mean look every and, and I sing I sing because I'm you know I'm happy yeah you look happy thank you question four from the box say when I'll pull it out go what's the best mix you've ever heard oh man It's difficult. I, I'll tell you one I really liked, and it, it's years old. It's by Danny Tanagula, right? And it's something that's really out of the really left field. 
It's called Deep State 2, Everybody Get Down. And I love my breakbeats and my hip hop. And it's got, it's got like the classic uh, James Brown, junky, funky drummer, which Pumpy Kelly used, but it's obviously speeded up. It's like, like the fast Eddie type. Everyone uses it. Deep State 2, Everybody Get Down. Okay, good answer. Question five, your final one from the box. Say when? Yep. Should DJing come with a warning? Look, with the with the awareness of like, God forbid, what happened to uh, you know Avicii, I suppose that warning not about the excess, but the the the, 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 the working. You've got to look after yourself. You've got to, have to take time out for health, as opposed to just you know constant travelling. Because constant tra- we don't realise how much the impact of constant travelling on your own all them years, partying, hotel rooms. Carrying those big boxes, carrying I the boxes. I've got. I have a hip replacement, you know. But that that loneliness thing, and that not being at home, not being settled, and you know, although it sounds very glamorous, yeah, it's a fucking tough life. Yeah. So I think it needs a warning. Enjoy it, but be mindful. Get some rest. Look after yourselves. Look after your health. Good advice. Great advice, Brandon. It's the end of the world, and you've got to play the last three records on Earth. What would those three records be? I suppose Luther Vandross' Glow of Love. Alison Limerick, Where Love Lives. And always look on the bright side of life, Monty Python. Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. Perfect. <laughs> Brandon Block, thank you so much. I've just got to tell you one more thing, and thank you so much for having me. For those who are interested, keep an eye out on my Instagram for Tuned Out. It's a group I run with my very good friend, Paul Byrne. It's a mental health support group and it's not, there's no agenda and it's on bi-monthly in the Ministry of Sound. Uh, keep an eye out if you want to come down for an evening. It's on the Wednesday, last Wednesday, every two months. It's sort of stuff we do now, so. It's been incredible. Thank you so much. You know I've been wanting to do this for a very long time, so thanks so much. Brandon Block, that was How to DJ. For listening, please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from. 